You're listening to What's Wrong With This Picture? Freaky Films and Why We Frickin' Love Them. Hi, I'm Lindsay McCullough. And I'm Gary Mulholland. And in each episode of What's Wrong With This Picture, we'll be looking at a movie we think is weird and wonderful. We sometimes do include the endings where it's key to what the film is, so please be prepared for that. So anyway, buckle up and join us on a journey to dangerous cities, suburbia and other fantasy worlds. It's going to be a wild ride. So this episode, uh, we're looking at something a bit different from our usual programming. We're going to compare and contrast two films that have a similar theme, uh, but are done very, very differently and have a very, very different feel. So we're looking at The Wicker Man from 1973 and Midsummer from 2019. The Wicker Man is directed by Robin Hardy. It stars Edward Woodward as Sergeant Howie, Christopher Lee as Lord Summerisle, Britt Eklund as the notorious Willow, Diane Salento as Miss Rose and Ingrid Pitt as the librarian. Midsummer is directed by Ari Aster. It stars Florence Pugh as Danny, Jack Rayner as Christian, Wilhelm Blomgren as Pelly, William Jackson Harper as Josh and Will Poulter as Mark, henceforth known as Douchebag because he is a total douchebag in this film. But we're going to start off by looking in depth at The Wicker Man before we circle round to Midsummer. Absolutely. So, uh, Police Sergeant Neil Howie flies to a remote Scottish island, Summer Isle, to investigate the case of a missing girl. He is a devout Christian and is soon horrified to realise that the islanders worship ancient pagan gods and do weird stuff like teach children uh, that the maypole is a phallic symbol, uh, shag openly in the fields and generally cavort naked while singing ancient spooky folk songs. The islanders deny the existence of the missing girl, but eventually he tracks down the girl's mother, who seems both not bothered by her daughter's disappearance and amused that Sergeant Howie thinks it's any of his business. When he discovers the girl's grave, finds only a dead hare and learns that Lord Summerisle and his pagan flock believe that human sacrifice will make their crops grow, he realises that he'd better scarper and get help. However, his plane and radio have been disabled. As the May Day Festival is now just hours away, Howie realises that he will have to mount a one-man rescue mission of the teenage girl who is about to be sacrificed to the gods of fruit and veg. <laughs> Lindsay, what's wrong with this picture? Well, can I say everything? Yes, you can say everything. In every single scene, there is something, if you look closely, there's something that's just off. So whether it's a close-up of snails mating or the baker shop that has kind of effigies of babies, it seems like, made into cakes yep. or just the general feel that, that the locals know something that, that Howie doesn't. Uh, there's tons of nudity. There's like an orgy when he leaves the pub one night <laughs> in the graveyard. Uh, there's any number of kind of symbols. And then we have the songs. Oh, 
the songs. Yeah, honestly, uh, one of uh, music is absolutely crucial to the brilliance of the Wicker Man. Uh, and I've got some notes here about um, who put the music together. Yes, yeah, so composed, arranged, and recorded by Paul Giovanni, and performed by Magnet. Um, the soundtrack contains thirteen folk songs performed by characters in the film, and included our traditional songs, original compositions by Giovanni, and even a nursery rhyme, "Bar Bar Black Sheep." Um, some of the songs have been ve- uh, sampled by various bands, and it's one of the, one of the most extraordinary things about the Wicker Man, Lindsay, is that uh, it may be one of uh, be, before the Rocky Horror Show. It is a horror film which plays like a musical. Plays like a yeah, and apparently Robin Hardy, the director, said, uh, you know, everybody's looking at this weird script. What's going on? Who is this? What is that big structure? And he said, uh, oh, and by the way. It's a musical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it also plays like a, a comedy. It's like a, th- yep. there are some real kind of comedic aspects to it. So Lord Summer Isle, the kind of the Lord of the Pagans, is visited by the straight-laced Sergeant Howie. Um, and I should say at this point, Edward Woodward's performance yeah, is... it's crucial. It's up there. It's astounding. Yep, Absolutely astounding. It's crucial. But um, So he goes to see Lord Summerall and he's passing in one of the several kind of weirdnesses that just happen around him all the time. He sees a group of women, naked women, chanting and singing and jumping over a fire. And so he says to Lord Summerall, you've got naked girls out there jumping over a fire. And Lord Summerall says, well... He says, oh, but, of co- but of course they're naked. It's much too difficult to jump through fire with your clothes on. <laughs> just with this... Beautifully missing the point. I yeah. know, this this, just... this kind of blankness that, that kind of Christopher Lee brings to this. But he's, he's not always blank, I have to say. And again, no. it's a, it's another kind of very brave performance for him. But um, I just think it is in- incredibly uh, funny. Yeah, it's, it is really funny all the way through. And what it... What's particularly clever about the comedy is that essentially the main character, Neil Howie, who is, of course, the representative of the law of the land, is the comedy. He is the straight man for all of the comedy. Everybody is mocking him. Yeah. And And at the same time, the film is mocking anybody, any viewer that happens to be Christian, uh, straight, yeah. um, you know, uh, believes in old-fashioned values, etc., etc. You know, basically, I would imagine that every time you watch this film, or any at the time if you watch this film, your reaction to it would be completely defined about whether you empathise with Neil Howie because he is fine and upright yeah. and a good person and straight, um, or whether you empathise with these insane people on an island who just have... How, sex all the time and kind of you, yeah all right well maybe we're going to kind of reveal a massive difference in our psyches here yeah how could you not empathize with howie i think he's a he's a hero he is just an absolute hero in this film i think i think the brilliance of the film or part of the brilliance of the film is the way it plays with the viewer's sympathies because on the one hand yeah, if you have a countercultural bent, as I do, part of you is going, oh, wow, you know, well, of course, they're, you know, they're just having sex everywhere and they're, they're doing what they like. And, you know, who, who wants the, the, the weird Christian guy wandering around, policeman, you know, telling everybody to stop it? You know, it's brilliant that they're ignoring him. The other side of it, as the film goes further yeah. and further on, um, they're going to do something completely unjustifiable and terrible to him uh, that he does not deserve. 
And um, I think it one of the crucial things of the film is the way it plays with the sympathy of the viewer. Um, and, I, you know, Edward Woodward, because you mentioned, mm. I've got to say again, he is so crucial. If you don't... If you've never heard of Edward Woodward, he was really a big TV actor in mm. the 70s, uh, mainly known for his roles in Callan and The Equaliser, which I think has been revived quite recently as a movie. And um, Yeah, he, Denzel Washington was in the movie and it's, now, right. it's now a TV, TV show again with, I think it's Queen Latifah. Really? Yeah. Which is like an awesome sign of the times, really, <laughs> when you think about it, isn't it? An awesome sign of the times. But he is... It's it's his keynote role because he has to do something really hard. He has to be abrupt, rude, unpleasant, unbending, inflexible, closed-minded, etc., etc. But you still have to want him to win. Yeah. Um. And he and he pulls this off brilliantly. And uh, we're not going to get to to the crucial nub of the crux of this yet. But his acting at the end of this film um, is yeah. what sticks with you. Yeah. But I think one of the trials that he has to go through before he gets there is he he has indicated that he's he's engaged to be married, but that him and his fiancée are, are waiting. Uh, so they haven't had sex. So he's, he's, he's very much implied to be a virgin. And what he's got to contend with is the, the landlord's daughter, who is Willow, played, for the most part, by Brit Eklund, who is just the kind of town sex symbol. She seems to initiate young boys. Uh, you know, yep. they, they go to her for their first sexual experience, and 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 this is kind of arranged by Lord Summerall. So she she plays this this part in 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 kind of the village village life, and she's also got the bedroom next door to his. Unfortunately, at the pub where he's staying. So cue one of the songs which involves. Uh, not Brit Eklund, but a Brit Eklund butt double, bum double. Yeah, very famously. Uh, kind of banging her fists on the wall, generally rubbing herself up and down the, the various furniture to his to his great discomfiture uh, yeah. next door. So yeah, it was uh, famously a butt double. Um, I've, I've been reading about this. Apparently there are yeah. two, two women who claim it was them. Right, okay, uh, okay. One is is credited, uh, not as the butt double, but as, as, as someone else in the film, and she, she appears in the credits. Uh, she's called Lorraine something. And the other one, I think, is called Jane something. Yeah. And uh, Jane was interviewed and said, oh, I remember it very, very clearly. It was just me in a room, and I was being filmed by a guy wearing a sheepskin jacket. And people are like, oh, I'm sorry to tell you this, Jane, that might not have been for the wicker man. <laughs> <laughs> so... Brilliant. I, and I also saw an interview with Britt Eklund where she says that literally she spent, you know, the next however many years of her life as the Wicker Man um, sort of gathered this cult following and mm. people became more and more obsessed with it. Uh, people coming up to her and going, oh, I loved you in Brit, I loved you in the Wicker Man. Uh, you're, you're just my heroine. Handing her a photograph of her ass. To, <laughs> yeah. And of course, her having to go, that's not my ass. <laughs> Vera, thank you very much. But actually, yeah. there may have been more to my acting performance than somebody else's ass. Well, I'm not signing someone else's bottom, yes. says Britt Eklund. Yeah. That could be a headline in the sun. <laughs> um, I I do have a problem with her performance, actually. Yeah, it's, she's not very good. She's not very good. And also, she's not the right type. This this is a woman, you should be able to smell her sex from the next room. Yeah. And, and and she's clean. She's clean and she's thin. She should be earthy and yeah. busty and motherly. And you should 
she should stink. She yeah. does not look like she stinks. Yeah, I think it's trapped in a world in in, in the world of that time where the sort of you know the sex symbols were were people like Raquel Welsh and and, and you know and whatever. And there was also a weird British obsession with Swedish au pairs and stuff like that. And I think Britt Eklund was one of the beneficiaries of that, and that's why she got work. She was blonde. She was Scandinavian. Um, she was kind of pretty, I suppose, uh, if that's your kind of thing. And and I think, you know, it, therefore she got cast for that for that kind of very cliched idea of what sexy was yeah. that was on at that time. They didn't seem to really care whether she could act or not. And um, but what I would say is because we're still talking about the weirdness of this film, the weirdness of her performance, the fact that. Really, you can see in her eyes that she doesn't know really what's being said to her. She doesn't have a clue what's going mm. on. <laughs> she hasn't got a clue what's going on. Adds to the weird dislocation of this movie. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. You know, she was dating uh, Rod Stewart at the time and yeah. he tried to have the film banned because really? <laughs> it showed what wasn't even her bum. So the power of Rod Stewart does he really think that he could have an entire film band I don't want to talk about it as he famously <laughs> said so we should probably uh, just have a look a bit more of the plot shouldn't we um, so we're going to with this one uh, this is a movie uh, this is a difficult one you can't talk about The Wicker Man uh, without talking about the ending of the movie because the ending of the movie is astonishing but we're going to try and do it without being too you know spoily so as you're watching the movie the viewer is beginning to get more and more hints as to what is going on on this island um so uh howie believes that he has got to get hold of a costume for the mayday ritual um a mr punch costume uh see he successfully infiltrates the festival and his theory is correct there is Rowan, this is the missing child, waiting to be rescued by her Christian knight in shining Mr. Punch armour. Except the very opposite has happened. And there ensues the most bizarre, dramatic, darkly funny and genuinely heartrending 20 minutes of twist ending ever committed to celluloid. Uh, Lindsay, what's right with this picture? Uh, I, think, I think the ending is... is uh, I actually think it's a masterpiece from 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 start to finish, and I I love the way it kind of depicts Scotland. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll come on to Midsummer, which is set in in Sweden, and these mm. are places I guess that you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily Im- immediately think of when you think of a sinister yeah. a sinister place. Yeah. But what the Wicker Man does is what other films like say uh, Whiskey Galore or Local Hero Hero have done, which is is that kind of cunning innocence. Mm. That that my my countrymen are 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 meant to have. So I think all the way through that there is this cunning versus innocence. So on the surface they look very innocent, but they're not. Yeah, they're very cunning. Yeah, he is a a policeman. He's meant to have that kind of that guile and detection and intelligence. And in fact, he's just an innocent that only understands way too late what is about to happen to him. Yeah, I mean, what what yeah. is about to happen to him? If you've seen the posters, you know that there is a, a wicker man structure. Yep. You know which as, they really built. Which they really built, and which uh, Edward Woodward, uh, to his kind of credit as an actor, the, the director was saying to him, "Come and see the structure. Come and see what's 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 happening at the end." And he said, "No, I'll see it when we film it." Mm. So his first view of wow. this structure, wow, really, that is going to be his doom, is is filmed. 
Yeah. And so yeah. when Sergeant Howie says, oh Christ, oh my God, part of that is Edward Woodward going, what? Yep. What? You're going you're gonna to put me in this gigantic structure. Uh, there's going to be a goat on top of my head um, and you're going to set fire to it. I, I, you know, he's, he's, yeah, the actor is actually sitting there thinking, if this goes wrong, yeah. if they don't know what they're doing, yeah. this is, <laughs> and the terror that Edward Woodward brings to this is, is unlike any in film. Because, you know, it, it's, I think, you know, obviously when there's a victim in a horror movie and the, the victim is female, you know, they're screaming and crying and, and etc. When the, the, the victim is a male, um, they either have, you know, expected to in some way tough it out um, or, you know, it's kind of weeping and wailing. This reaction is, is a man communicating desperately with his God. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's powerful. And he brings, there's a moment where he starts to sing The Lord's My Shepherd and I, it makes me cry. I, I think it's incredibly heroic and it kind of puts, puts him into, I, I, it kind of gives him, you're looking at him through the lens of that, I think, throughout the film. If, you, if yeah. you've seen it before, you know, yeah. you know that's coming. You know he has these depths of, of strength and faith yeah. and belief yeah. and that actually they're doing something terrible to him. It's not, he's trying not to let it touch him. Yeah. He's trying not to let it affect his faith. And God, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively yeah. teary actually yeah, just yeah, thinking about too. it because it's just, it's just amazing. It's, it's so powerful. I, I know, but I do want to say before we get, both of us too lost in, oh yeah. my God, the end of the week of it. Um, th- one of the f- most amazing, fantastic images in the movie does happen just before. And it, it, it involves Christopher Lee, who, yeah. you know, many of you will recognise as Dracula, the poss- one of the most famous screen Draculas. And Sauron. Um, and yes, absolutely. Um, in a long, dark wig, basically dragging it up. Uh, dragging it up at the head of this May Day carnival parade. And it is, when he comes on screen, you are kind of, oh my Lord, Um, I did not see that coming. Um, It's it's really interesting. Christopher Lee was the major motor behind getting the whole film made. Uh, He met playwright Anthony Schaefer, um, who was a very popular cutting-edge playwright of the time. Uh, he met him at a party or something and, and sort of said to him, well, basically, you know, I'm looking for something that isn't Dracula. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, I've been typecast. Yeah. Uh, th- that's all I'm getting offered now is Dracula type parts. I really, really wondered if you might be interested in working with me on something that's still in the horror vein, but which shows that I can actually do something else except Dracula. And um, they unearthed a, a, a novel called Ritual. It was... Uh, you know, Anthony Schaefer apparently didn't like it that much, but took key points from it to create yeah. the Wicker Man. And when you watch Christopher Lee go so so far out yeah. of his comfort zone, it's really quite inspiring to watch. It, it is, it is, yeah. And he's uh, he's 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 dancing at the head of this, yeah. Thing, but but really, kind of giving it giving it loudy as yeah. we as giving we say on on uh, 
Summerisle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is a community where they do give it laldy come, they do come give it fruit and veg time. Considerably. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so he's 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 dancing, he's he's dragged up as as you say and, and playing this kind of character who's a who's a female character in the mm. in the in the ritual. Um and yeah, just excellent. I wonder if I should uh, should we bring the tone down and just mention the remake of The Wicker Man from 2006? Probably. I've never seen it, Lindsay, though. Have you seen it? I have I have, I have seen it. Uh, oh, no, I have seen it. I'm, what am I saying? Yeah, of course I've seen it. Yeah. Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage, directed by Neil LeBute. And I think... Uh, I think... I think you said to me, I knew you had seen it because yeah, when I said to you yeah. I'd watched it, you're like, yeah, that, that, those are people who do not get what The Wicker Man's mm-hmm. about and they absolutely do not get what The Wicker Man's about. Um, I mean, Nicolas Cage does does Nicolas Cage, Cage. But, hmm. but, but bad. I mean, I like Nicolas Cage when he does good Nicolas Cage, but this one is just... Uh, the, thing is, the thing is with Nick, Nicolas Cage is, if you put that guy in a great movie, his Nicolas Cage-isms are great. Yeah. You put that guy in a bad movie, his Nicolas Cage-isms yeah. are an embarrassment. He cannot save it. And and it, it, that is a perfect example, is, is the remake of The Wicker Man, which so misunderstands the point of the original. Yeah. And, and also it misunderstands the whole point. And this is a problem with a lot of remakes, I think. Wicker Man works in the context of it being the early 70s. Yeah. It's imbued by the early 70s. Yeah. It's imbued by what by censorship breaking down and people still being unsure what they could and couldn't show yeah. and trying to push that envelope. And it also by a countercultural kind of hippies had brought in, you know, a, a sort of vision of we can all have sex with each other, the 50s are over, but it also, that also had a veneer of misogyny yeah. to it. And that hangs over The Wicker Man. And these are very different times. Well, to be honest, the remake of The Wicker Man is incredibly misogynistic because they they've, gender, they've gender kind of swapped it it all so who the, the the character that was Lord Summer Isle is now Sister Summer's Isle. I don't know why they've changed it, but it's Summer's Isle. And <laughs> that's she, important. Oh yeah, that's that's Ellen Burstyn, and she's terrible. Oh Generally, wow, she's 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 great. Yeah, um, the school teacher is played by Molly Parker, who I love. Uh, do you, do you remember her? She was in Deadwood. She plays the laudanum addicted oh, school teacher, yeah, and she's yeah, in a lot yeah. of okay. unusual things. She's a great actress, I think. Totally wasted in this, of course, because why shouldn't why wouldn't she be? And uh, yeah, Nicholas. Cage. There is actually a link. Let's actually move on. We've spent yeah. enough time on, yeah. it, on the remake. You got, I was just going to say, you've got such a great memory for bad films. Like, I, I didn't remember Ellen Burstyn in it. I didn't remember Molly Parker. I, yeah. You know, I'm, I, I, it wiped it from my memory as soon as I watched it. You're a lucky man. <laughs> I'm, I'm still uh, I'm still digesting that particular nugget. But um, if we want to look at how you might remake a film, Mm. like The Wicker Man, mm. and how you might bring it up to date and how you might gender swap it and how you might do it properly, then let's look at Midsummer. Perfect. So, Midsummer. The tale begins with American psychology student Danny living through the shock of her sister killing herself and their parents by filling the house with carbon monoxide. Danny's boyfriend Christian is not being a great help. He and fellow student mates think Danny is a smelly girl with annoying emotions which are getting in the way of their mate getting laid and being one of the lads. The lads are planning a trip to Sweden to attend a festival in a commune called Haga at the invite of Pella, the Swedish lad. 
Christian, Mark and Josh do not want Danny tagging along, but strangely, Pella encourages Danny to join them. And Danny, who is somewhat emotionally codependent on Christian, tags along. The oddness of the Haga commune is quickly apparent when the inhabitants immediately feed their guests magic mushrooms, are always dressed in medieval clothing, live communally in brightly coloured, oddly shaped dwellings, insist that everyone eats together on a giant outside table, regularly burst into folky song and dance and believe their ancestors' spirits live in a dead tree. The community's smiling coercion of all outsiders into weird rituals puts an increasing strain on our four heroes' friendships, which reach a gory breaking point when they are asked to be compliant spectators as two elderly people voluntarily voluntarily jump to their deaths by diving headfirst off a cliff onto a rock. Danny wants to leave. Christian wants to stay to study this pagan community, and not at all because a hot redhead keeps flirting outrageously with him every time Daddy's (laughs) back is turned. So, Lindsay, what's wrong with this picture? Ah, it's... mm, I think there's so many kind of signs and symbols and augurs of of what's to come. It's a really... It's a film that's really kind of like, keep watching, keep watching, keep watching. I mean, it starts off, as you say, with, with... a horrible violence and and Danny is is bereaved in the worst possible way. Yeah. Um and she's the only kind of sympathetic character really because I think she is. all the all the other guys in her her, her boyfriend Christian his his friends uh, they're awful. You know they she's really are. she's she's been through this terrible terrible thing. Um and all Christian does really is kind of passively aggressively twist what He's, she wants and towards what he needs. He is 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 an an awful person, and uh, I just think it's it's a fun, it, you know we'll get on to Florence Pugh in a bit. Yeah. but um, it's a great acting performance uh, by oh what's his name? What's his name? I've forgotten his name. Arias. Oh, the oh the um the guy who plays Christian. Um, he's absolutely Jack Rayner. Thank you, Jack Rayner. He is. It's a it's such a selfless performance because. He has to give three dimensions to a person who, in a poorer actor's hands, would just be the one-dimensional bad boyfriend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is a bad boyfriend, and the moral of the story to me is: don't be a bad boyfriend. Yeah, <laughs> that's the big, the big message. <laughs> or beware: if you're going to be a bad boyfriend, you better beware. Um, but the other thing I, I like about this film is it's two and a half hours long, which is, you know, yeah. long even for, for by today's standards. It, you do not feel it. It shoots It's by. not a minute too long. No, nope. not at all. Whereas the ninety minutes or so that the Wickerman remake is is feels like a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> feels like eighteen months. Yeah, because I think I, one of the things with Midsummer, uh, it it is one of those movies. Um, you know, both me and you, Lindsay, will have our personal list of there's there's some movies that are better every single time yeah. you watch yeah. them, and they are meant to be watched over and over and over again because you will always notice something yeah. that you did not notice the time before. And not just by that, I don't just mean, oh, you know, a, a, a visual thing or something somebody says. I mean an entire theme. Yeah. Like an entire yeah. theme that you hadn't noticed before will emerge. So, you know, on some levels, it's a bad breakup movie. On some levels, it's a pagan cult movie. On some levels, it's a gory horror movie. On some levels, yeah. it's a movie about friends who don't really understand each other. Yeah. On some levels, it's a movie about Western culture is breaking down. Yeah. On some levels, 
I think you can look at it as a movie about fascism. I, uh, for me, okay. um, and we'll maybe get well. We'll get to that in a bit because something came out of it the third time of watching yeah. that I'd never really felt before, and I felt powerfully impacted by it. And um, you know, I, I, maybe I'll bring it up, but I felt there was something about these this community of very blonde, very Aryan people yeah. who are basically completely screwing with the lives of outsiders, and they don't do it unlike the Wicker Man, who are all doing it with a sort of sense of mischief and having a laugh, these people are doing it as if they're being therapeutic and they're doing it as if they've never, ever, ever considered any other belief system but their own. Yeah. They have a, a sense that the disgusting, depraved things that they are doing are absolutely and utterly morally, you know, and ethically correct yeah and there is something about it that that made me at one point i was thinking this is like people being dragged to a concentration camp this is horrible i yeah i didn't i didn't i didn't make that uh connection actually but i think i think there is something whereas in the wicker man okay they kind of procure they procure sergeant howie to come with the with the kind of belief that this girl has gone has gone missing mm-hmm. so they they kind of urge him to they come. fool him they fool him into into coming in midsummer the young people actively go out they proselytize yeah it's you know it's much more like the jehovah's witnesses or something yeah. because they, they yeah they go out to the world and they have to bring back people who yeah will meet their their fate or you know who who meet the community's needs while having their own needs yeah let's say ignored or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're trying not. We're trying not to completely give away the ending uh, with Midsummer. I mean, I mean, I don't know how much we did give away the ending of the Wicker Man. There is a, all of it, <laughs> right? Okay. There's a there's a lot uh, there's a lot yeah. of similarities between these two endings. I don't know if Ari Aster was consciously referencing the surely, Wicker Man, surely, um, or even has seen it. Who knows? Um, but it's it's again. A long ritual which ends with a savage, savage act and where the imagery of the way that act is presented to you has you caught halfway between this is god-awful and this is incredibly beautiful. Yeah. Which which is a really hard thing to... Pull off I, I, and, I, and leaves you disturbed. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think uh, we should we should probably talk about the the camera work because a, a lot oh, of it is God, yeah. is is amazing. So there's there's beautiful vistas in this kind of outdoorsy Swedish community. I, I read some. Uh, apparently, the the Swedish kind of film goers' reaction to this was to laugh uproariously. They thought it was a black comedy. Right, so, I get it. So maybe I that, get that. But that, I, I mean, that does say something. I think about may, maybe a mordant sense of humour. Um, yeah. And I'm sure the same same is true in, in Scotland because that, that's something we probably have in common. So the the vistas look incredibly beautiful, and I think that you yeah. know the, the the long shots and the um, kind of. Uh, yeah, the, the the kind of describing of the community looks looks incredible. But there's a couple of really interesting camera things quite early on, mm. where in one uh, they're in the apartment back in New York uh, that Christian shares with his friends, and Danny is very upset. She's talking to Pelly, I think it is about mm. about what's happened to her, and he is at least pretending to be, be sympathetic. Pretending to be sympathetic to, to, in to that horrible therapeutic, yeah, yeah, yeah patronising yeah. way. Yeah. So she goes. She, she kind of has to rush off to the apartment bathroom, and then the very next shot, she's in the plane 
uh, bathroom and it's mm. a really quick cut and it's she's kind of gone through one door and ended up somewhere else which I think is really clever but there's an astonishing shot actually where the car is driving along a road in Sweden towards the community what's the name of the community again? Um, uh, Haga Haga it, it, it's driving along there so it's a drone camera from above yeah. it's watching it and then it just flips 180 degrees I've so it's like that. the road and the car <gasps> Are above you, like in train spotting, where that baby's coming yeah, along the roof. Yeah, it's like it's above you, so yes, it's yes. that's a very kind of ding, 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 ding. The world is about to be, to be turned, turned upside, upside down. down. Yeah. Um, so in, you might think it's a bit on the nail, but actually, a bit on the nose. Actually, in the in the context of the film, it works beautifully. It's just this very dreamlike. What is going on? Well, those things about harbingers of what's going to come. Um, you know that that is a beautiful shot, and yeah. right from the beginning for me, that, that's I'm 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 in. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, because people do those kind of shots, but it's it's the te- the technique. I, I don't know. It just looks unlike anything yeah. else I've ever seen. But a uh, beautiful augury is at one point. You know, they've they've only just turned up in this camp and and whatever, and they're just walking around, going from one place to the other. Some, you know, one of the 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 the, the commune is explaining something as they walk to somewhere, and they walk past a bear. <laughs> there's a bear in a cage and it's like ah there's a bear uh-huh yes okay. there is there is yeah. a bear and, and you know it's a very Chekhovian bear isn't it don't show a bear in act one if yeah you're not yeah show, exactly if you're not going to the gun in, in act three and I do wonder if that was you know uh, again a conscious reference and um, and and it's it becomes well it's not crucial to what happens towards the end but it's it visu- is very much part of it it's visually crucial yeah. to what happens in the end. There, there, there is, and could I just mention, there is a yellow house or a yellow building. Yeah, triangle. And that yellow triangular building, this time watching it, just has stayed in my head. Uh, yeah. How, I do not know how someone, first of all, comes up with, well, that particular building should be yellow and a triangle. And secondly, shoots it in such a way that you can't get a yellow triangle out of your head. Yeah. And it's it, it's very sinister. It makes this kind of primary colour, primary shape very, very sinister. Just going back with the bear, I've always wanted to be able to make a joke of, you know, if someone says to you, why, why were you late? And you're just like, oh, well, bear with me. Yeah, but why are you late? There's a bear with me. Um, and actually, and I don't know if you remember this about the 2006 Wicker Man remake, Uh-oh. but he doesn't wear a punch costume in the parade. He wears a bear costume. Ah. Yeah, so really, actually, Ari Aster was just completely ripping off the really bad version of the Wicker Man. Is yeah, that what you're telling yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, possibly. <laughs> but I, I think I think there, there are echoes of it there. Yeah. Actually, one thing I forgot to mention about the remake of The Wicker Man, I'm just going to say this, say this briefly, how Nicolas Cage gets that bear costume, I mentioned this to you, he has to beat up a woman for it. God, yeah, you, you so reminded me of that. He does that because all the, all the baddies are, are, are women. You know, Neil Labute, do you remember that film you made, the company in the company of men? Oh, in the company of men. I yeah, forgot about yeah. that movie. So of course, his films are oh, not. That's an amazing movie. On misogynistic, I don't think in in some ways. Anyway, yeah, Nicholas Cage yeah, beats up one woman to get this bear costume, and that's okay. He might have to beat up a woman to get a bear costume. He then beats up two other women. I mean, giving one a full on kick in the solar plexus. That, it's it's an extraordinary. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. That the the. the, the I'm just imagining these people in this Hollywood script conference, you know, doing all this thing and going, yeah, yeah, we think that that, that Nick Cage should beat up some women. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Green light. (laughs) Yeah. What? (laughs) 
Yeah. Anyway, let's anyway, leave. Yes, let's yeah, leave yeah. the Wicker Man 2006 way back uh, where it belongs. Oh, could I mention one scene though before we yeah. stop talking about what's weird? And it it's sort of echoes what you were saying about Swedish audiences mm. seeing it as a black comedy. The, there's only everything that these uh, people from this commune do is done without any apparent evil intent. It, in the sense of nobody's doing facial expressions or any yeah, kind yeah. of, ah, ha, ha, now we've got you. You know, it, they're, they're, it's just this has got to happen because we're right yeah. and everybody else is wrong and actually under that. Except for one beautiful moment where they've, they've fed Christian drugs at, yeah. and he's sitting at this dinner table and um, he's tripping. And it, uh, again, Ari Aster's, you know, the camera work mm-hmm. about how somebody is tripping yeah, is just yeah, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. And so his face is all over the place. The background is all over the place. You can feel this trip happening to him. And you can see in his face, this is a horrible trip. And he turns around to this old fella sitting next to him and goes, what's happening? And this old fella just looks at him. And claps in his face. Oh, yeah. Knowing that that is going to cause such a horrible trip. And and, and Christian just turns around and says, what what did you do that for? (laughs) And it is really funny. And the only time when one of these, one of this community steps out of this fake niceness into actually, I just want to do you harm. Yeah. Well, there's there's a couple of kind of, Punishments that happen, aren't they? When when uh, mm. Mark the douchebag pees on the sacred tree. Oh yeah, yeah, that gets them angry. And then when when Josh the PhD student, the other PhD student, yeah. tries to steal one of their their holy, holy books, he gets punished for that as well yes, by someone who I was like, what is going on? I couldn't quite work out what the other character was. Is is it is that Mark the douchebag? No, it's someone wearing his face. Yes, I, it it took me two watches of that mm. movie to work the hell that 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 is. Yeah, um, yeah, people are being flayed. Yeah, and and you know people are wearing other people's faces. Yeah, um, and you know just to to say Mark the douchebag. Sorry, can you remind me who the actor His, is? Will Will Poulter. Will Poulter. It's a heroic turn because this this is probably the only in a way, even marginal flaw of this movie is that there is one male character who is the one-dimensional dude. Nah, 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 nah. Mm. Uh, all, I'm, all I think about is whatever needs I have this second, I'm really stupid kind of guy. And again, Will Poulter has to take this nothing of a character and make him funny and yeah. interesting yeah. and sympathetic and he does it, and I don't know how he does it. Well, not sympathetic in the sense of he's he is a douchebag, right? Yeah. He's a douchebag, not making any argument. But you still don't want the thing to happen to him that happens to him. Or do you? No, <laughs> no, you don't, Lindsay. You don't. Don't be a bad boyfriend and don't be a douchebag. Those are my two rules. Well, all of those list of things of like how you can watch this movie, I missed out the key, one of the, the biggest ones, which is feminist revenge movie. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Can we have a little talk about Florence Pugh? Yes, we can have a little talk about Florence Pugh. But first, I okay. want to talk about uh, a bit of dialogue, which I really loved. So Christian, is being Christian, who's Danny's boyfriend, is being yep. kind of groomed to impregnate um, 
the redhead that you mentioned earlier, yeah. Maya, who's uh, kind of coming into her. She's got her sex license, they say, so she's kind of coming into her I guess, off age or something. Yes. She, she's she's at that age. Yeah. So uh, at one point, when Christian is is tripping, and the elder woman says to him, "So you know, you know, Maya, Maya, do you like Maya?" And he kind of looks around him and he said. I think I ate one of her pubic hairs. Yeah. <laughs> Which he has, because this is part of the uh, medication that he's been given to kind of make him want to yeah. to, to have sex with her. Yeah. So in, in that sense, I mean, many of the elders in this community are kind of uh, female characters as well. Yes. In, in some ways, it's quite, yeah. it's quite female-centric. But yeah, in terms, of, in terms of feminist revenge, there's a definite aspect to that towards the end. And, and we mentioned uh, Florence Pugh's face and yeah. she is amazing she's still quite a young actress and she's she's great in so it's... many things I mean I saw her first in a film I think called Lady Macbeth I think that was the first yeah. thing I saw oh, she's amazing she's in fantastic that. in that so she's married to an older landowner this is set in, I think in the 19th century she takes a, a lover who to be honest is no better really than the husband that she's married but at least is a bit more virile um, her husband or is it her husband her father-in-law comes home unexpectedly and he's this lover is hiding in a cupboard and she gets so incensed she drags him out she throws him on the bed. She straddles him and she's looking at her, I think it's her husband. She's looking at her husband with this kind of loathing and defiance. And she's just kind of forcing this guy to, to I don't think they are having sex, but she's pretending she's having sex with this guy. And she's not looking this guy in the face at all. She's looking directly at her husband with this hatred. And I, I kind it's of thought It's a cuckold scene. It's yeah, a classic cuckold scene. I mean, scene. But, but I don't know if that was her actual debut, but if it was, because she was very young at that, at that time mm. as well. What, what, an amazing performance, and again, in I mean, she hasn't she she has done kind of several several movies, but I was very struck by her in Black Widow because yeah, I really she's the best thing about a bad film. Yeah, I really felt for Scarlett Johansson. She spent the whole of this Avengers series kind of not earning as much as the men. Her character is not grieved as much as Iron no, Man to no. any degree at all. She finally gets a movie of her own, and then it's kind of stolen by Florence Pugh, who just is so much better than her. Yeah, well, they made... <sighs> Black Widow is a very poorly written character. There's nothing Scarlett Johansson could do with it. Mm. it she, you know, it, it, she's just... It's just the usual, you know, somewhere there's a person inside the CGI. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, you know, but you're right, Florence Pugh actually does manage to somehow, you know, come out of that. It does remind me of what you're saying is... You're, uh, yeah, I'd really like your opinion on... So there is a sex scene. Um, yeah. <laughs> one of the most inc- well, I don't know, maybe the most incredible sex scene ever filmed. I don't know. It's, an, uh, it's certainly a contender. I feel that's, a, that's quite an ambitious statement. It's a contender in terms of weird, mm. in terms of weird and original, and I, I defy anyone to see, say that they've seen anything like it. Um, but you could argue that Christian is raped by a whole group of female... Yeah, but but kind of, but not in the way that sounds, I don't think. The, the visual is, is not that. You're right, he's kind of coerced into sex under... under mm, it, coerced into sex. I'm not saying he, he wouldn't have been interested, but he is coerced into sex, certainly, mm. uh, through the, the use of kind of drugs and general disorientation. Mm. And so Maya, the, this, the, the, young, the young woman, is kind of on a bed of flowers, of course. What yeah. else would she, would she be lying on? In this kind of empty barn. Um, and they, they start to have sex, but they are surrounded by, I guess, eight or ten yeah. women who start to move in kind of unison. The, the women are, are standing up, but one kneels down to kind of take 
Christian's hand? Is it or is it Maya's hand? I think it's Christian's hand. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and so Christian and Maya are, are are having sex, however coerced he has he has been into that, and the women start kind of moving yep. and moaning in the same kind of rhythm, and and the, the moans are kind of they're kind of eight part harmony, aren't they? They're, yeah. I mean, they're very musical. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Ah, Absolutely. Ah. So this this is all happening. In the meantime, uh, Danny, Florence Pugh's character, yeah. comes in, sees this happening, yeah. starts to absolutely wail. So another group of girls and women take her back to her bedroom and they're all round her on the floor. Yep. She's wailing and moaning and they are wailing and moaning. Again, in, in this musical, in this, in this harmonic. Ah, as she's crying. Ah, ah, and Ah, I you know I you know this time watching it and it's an incredible scene. I mean that the whole the juxtaposition, the editing, yeah, the idea is just astonishing, and, and your jaw is dropping at the whole thing. But this time it definitely reminded me. Oh God, this is like childbirth. Yeah, that yeah. it's like she's giving birth to new Danny through yeah. agony. Yeah, yeah, through agonising, cathartic. Yeah. Agony, absolutely, and uh, it's just good God. Yeah, <laughs> and a new Danny, which kind of brings us to the end, and we we, yeah. we, we won't spoil the end, but the, the, it's not a spoiler to say if you have seen the the poster for this movie, this is Danny at the end. She has been through her catharsis. She's been crowned Queen of the May or whatever mm. it is. She's 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 kind of won this competition to become the queen of this particular aspect of the ritual, and she has some decisions to make. And all I would say is. Bear with me. Don't be a bad boyfriend. <laughs> Absolutely. Danny's Choice. The film could have been called Danny's Choice yeah. instead of, you know, Sophie's Choice. It's, and, and you know, just to put a fine point on the fact that this, you know, when something is actually advertised all over the advertising, you know, the sort of, is the, you know, in big letters, masterpiece. I, I have an awful lot of resistance to going, oh, you know, mm-hmm. this film's actually a masterpiece. This film is yeah. actually yeah. a masterpiece. Yeah. And the final look on Florence Pugh's face is one of those looks which could mean everything and nothing. Yeah. And all points in between. And again, leaves you really, really haunted. Yeah. And... If you're in one kind of mood, you're kind of cheering her on. And if you're in another kind of mood, you're horrified by that look. And it's 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 quite brilliant. Her performance, I'm, I mean, so much of this movie is about looking at actors' faces. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's dialogue, but, but the dialogue is not, is definitely not the biggest thing of this film. It's very, 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 very visual. And Ari Aster's choice is... I want the emotions yeah. expressed by the actors' faces, yeah. not by people saying, yeah. I feel like this and I feel yeah, like that. Yeah. So, you know, Florence Pugh's face acting, I can't call it anything else. <laughs> it's face acting and it's on some kind of acting planet that I could barely understand. Um, who, who is the, the extraordinary woman who plays Joan of Arc back in the day? Uh, in Carl Dreyer's... Uh, Falconetti. Um It's, I think she leaves some of the greatest visual images of the face since that film. And we're talking a hundred years. It's, it's, it's quite 
Astonishing. Yeah. Now, usually at this point, we're supposed to ask each other, what's right with this picture? And I think we've gone straight from what's wrong (laughs) to all the things that are right. Yeah. It's an amazing film. So, um, you know, obviously we've framed this as The Wicker Man versus Midsummer. And, of course, with all of our um, uh, movies that we look at, we, we judge on two criteria. Which one's the most weird? Um, or which? how many, how many marks are we going to give it yeah. for weird out of 10? And how many marks are we going to give it for quality yeah. out of 10? And, and we, we like to have a specific voting system, don't we? And I was, I was thinking have of... Have you thought of something? What, what, what do both these films have? They both have maples and they're both very key. Lovely. So, Gary, for your marks for... Quality and weirdness out of 10 maples for The Wicker Man. Wow. Okay, this is so tough. Um, For quality, nine. And for weirdness, 10 maples. And for Midsummer? For quality, 10. And for weirdness, nine. I'm, I'm, I'm going to explain why. Go on. Um, you, sh- you know, this is the first time we've ever done a versus, versus, <clears throat> yeah, versus. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and it was uh, probably my idea. And, and, and I thought this would be easy, you know. Yeah. I, and what I thought would be easy is Midsummer's brilliant. Midsummer's yeah. brilliant. But The Wicker Man I'm, is one of my favourite yeah. films of all yeah, time. So yeah. I know at the end of it, yeah. I'll still say I love The Wicker Man. I have a personal relationship with The Wicker Man. I love it. My heart says the best of these two yeah. films is The Wicker Man. Mm. But my head says... Oh. The best of these two films is Midsummer because it is one of the most perfectly shot, plotted, directed, thought out, detailed films I have ever seen. Yeah. Okay. Maples for The Wicker Man. I'm very tempted to give it a 10 for quality just because I love it so much, but Mm -hmm. I am actually quite persuaded that cinematically, everything else-wise... Midsummer is the better film, so I'm I'm going to I'm I'm going to go with you. I think The Wicker Man is the weirder film. Actually, yeah. I think it's ten. It is ten maples for weirdness for The Wicker Man, and nine point eight in quality for The Wicker Man. <laughs> We're getting into decimal points now, and uh, possibly tens across the board for the for Midsummer. Yeah, I I, I I that's why I was pausing about the nine because. You know, I was really thinking, God, you've got to give it 10 out of 10 for both. You've got to give it 10 out of 10 for both. Um, it's it's going to hurt me to say that I think anything is better than The Wicker Man. But having watched those two films this week and deep dived into them and really lived with them, Midsummer is even better, even better mm. than The Wicker Man. And I, that is not that is not something I take lightly. Ari Aster, when you consider he didn't just direct that film, he wrote... Mm. and that it was apparently inspired by a bad breakup. Oh! <laughs> yeah, that was the original kernel of the idea, which is makes it even more fascinating. Yeah. Which of the two characters was he? Yeah. Was he, if, if you know, maybe it's not as crass and simple yeah. as that, but is he Christian? Because, yeah. hey, he's the bloke. Yeah. So, or is he Danny? And that makes it to me even more... It, the fact that he's written something so astonishing yeah. from such a simple, but but from an emotional thing, it's not simple a breakup. It's appalling, but that he came up with that out of it is is just yeah extraordinary to me. Yeah, absolutely. 
yeah, I think I think. Uh, what else? What else can you say? They are marvelous films. Absolutely. If on the off chance you have not seen either one of them, you must remedy that immediately. Totally. And don't be a bad boyfriend. <laughs> Till next time. Till next time. What's Wrong With This Picture is brought to you by Lindsay McCulloch and Gary Mulholland and is recorded by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. Music composed and performed by Russ Keffert.